Crush your menopause sugar cravings just in time for summer with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. They're delicious keto and intermittent fasting-friendly bars created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the challenging stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A bars.com and save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome to Hot Flashes on Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. Here at Hot Flashes on Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And it is Pride Month. And we are very excited to share a conversation that we had with Ika McLeod from the McLeod family. Many of you may follow her on Instagram. She has over 114,000 followers on Instagram. She's had millions of views on YouTube, and she has over 2.4 million followers on TikTok. So why does Ika have so many followers? Well, Ika shares the story of her life, and she has fostered over 18 children since grad school. She has adopted three of them. Eli, Evan, and Ella. And on her platform, she's creating a safe space for the LGBTQIA community and for people with disabilities. It was a really interesting conversation about how she has created this life with her children. Her first son, it has some disabilities and medical challenges that really, you know, are are pretty severe. Now, Evan has been all over social media. She, at the time that we taped this, Evan identified as non-binary. She has now transitioned to identify as a she. So if you hear us at any time, call Evan by the pronoun he This was done prior to her identifying as a girl. So please understand that's why we used the pronoun he. But Evan was on with the old gays on TikTok and they are hysterical. And that's where I first saw Evan because she had dressed up in this beautiful princess dress and she went to see the old gays. And sure enough, they were all dressed up as princesses. And Ika's platform is really about changing minds and hearts. Her story is one of, you know, she is also queer, which puts her more in a position to understand what her Mm -hmm. child is going through, but she wants to make sure that the world understands and the world is listening. They've been on the Today Show. They've been on CBS News. And she tells her story to us. And I thought it was such a fascinating view of, of what our world should look like. Right. right. Absolutely. You know, it, you know, I was, I talked to her about the fact that I was a former teacher and the importance of foster parenting and how important that is. And, you know, just to even have someone be a foster parent and what to do with children that have to face the situation of being put in foster parenting, but just her opening, her openness as well, her loving of these children for who they are. And in this month where the focus on the LGBTQIA community increases, we just thought that she would be a wonderful person to have on and a great example of acceptance and advocacy. And we hope that you feel the same way when you listen to this episode. She's going to tell you the story of how she came to be the mom of Eli, Evan, and Ella. And Eli actually has cerebral palsy. And just how she loves 
her life. She loves her kids and she wants people to accept everyone as they are. So here's our conversation with Ika. Enjoy. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today, we're going to have a great conversation with Ika McLeod. And you may know that name because she is a very popular mom of three on TikTok. As a matter of fact, you have over two and 2.4, almost two and a half million followers on TikTok. Welcome to the show, Ika. Thank you for having me. Well, it's just, it's so interesting. You know, now that things like TikTok are around, we can get so personal with people. We feel like we know you already because we've watched <laughs> your life with your kids. But my first question to you is, it's so interesting how you knew from a very young age that you wanted to be a foster mom. And in grad school, you actually got certified. Can you talk about why you wanted to do that? Um, I actually knew from a very young age that I wanted to adopt. Mm-hmm. I didn't know at that age how that how that would come about, what that journey would look like. Um, and then I, you know, I, I, I tell the story of, I was in my much younger, thinner days, um, a competitive cheerleader, which competition wasn't then like it is now. So let me make that clear. Um, and there were a couple of girls I knew on another squad and they were sisters and their parents, their biological parents had five bio kids and they fostered children. Um, and so they would have all these kids, they would have, you know, their five bio kids and then like two, three or four foster kids in the house. They had a big home. Um, and I didn't know until the first time I went to spend the night and I was like, oh, this is it. This is how I was probably, um, 13 or 14. And so I, ever since I was a little girl, I knew I would adopt. And then it was weird. Like, you know, I think even as young as four years old, I knew I wanted to adopt kids. And when other little girls were playing like wedding with the doily or whatever on their head or pregnancy, put the pillow in your tummy, I was playing adoption. So <laughs> I've always awesome. just, I think everybody has a calling. It was mine. Wow. So, you know, with the foster system too, I'm a former elementary teacher and I would have students that were in the foster care system and some, you know, would be in my classroom for just a week or two. And then some would be in there for the whole school year. How difficult is it to become a certified foster parent? So it's actually a licensed foster parent. You carry a license. A a a license. license. Correct. Okay. And I do know both sides of it because not only have I been a foster parent for um, a handful of years, but I was also child protective services for uh, quite a few years as well. Um, And so to become a licensed foster parent, um, it, I would say it's a lot of paperwork to me. I'm a very motivated individual. I just think it depends on the personality of those who are going through the process. For me, it was like the paperwork, even though there was a lot of things to answer, it was a lot of repetitive stuff, write your address, write your full name, write your social security number, all that stuff. Um, It felt like it wasn't that tough. And I was on like, you have to take classes. Like my paperwork, everything was done, my home study, and then I got into the classes, which usually is the exact opposite way. People kind of wait, oh, the next class is like in a couple months and they start their classes and after the classes, they do the paperwork. Like I was the exact opposite. I got um, in touch with a foster family agency and was like, let's do this. Come on, guys. Come on. Chop, chop. Uh, and I was on it and, and that was it. So for me, it wasn't difficult. I licensed here in California. Uh, I moved to Texas for a handful of years and then very quickly moved back, um, and licensed there as well. Um, the, I would say the procedures between two very different States are very similar. Okay. That was, that was interesting because thank goodness for foster parents, because you know, just the situation's and the number of children that need to go in. And I also found 
families, like you said, uh, of your friend growing up, that families, they were the same families that would take in. Um, at our school, you knew who they were. And they were fantastic families. I mean, I never encountered an issue with any of these families. Yeah, I think a lot of foster parents get a really bad rap because what's aired on the news is the horrible stories. And to me, those are very few and far between. You know, um, they the, the foster parents, the hundreds of foster parents I knew in my five six years of being licensed were great. They, they loved these kids. I mean, they're all human. Nobody's perfect, but they were good to the kids. The kids are always clean and, and well cared for. And they genuinely cared about the well-being of these children. So I have nothing negative to say, of course. Right. Like, think, thankfully my experience was positive with other, other. From what we have seen, you have fostered 18 children in your Correct. experience. What is that? Like, how long does a one foster child stay with you? How is that? Do they, do you have several at one time? How does that work? So it's a revolving door. Like, <laughs> I mean, it depends on, um, remember when you're licensed, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're licensed, um, they're going to license your home for only so many children and of certain ages. And that's going to come down to um, a, a few things like how large your home is, how much space is in your home, what the specific regulations and policies are regarding how many kiddos can be in a room and what ages and all that stuff. There's a lot that goes into it. And those, the social workers that license, you know, all those um, regulations. So um, it's just a lot of, a lot of red tape, but it's to keep everybody safe. You as the foster parent, especially the kids, them as this, the County or the FFA or whatever. So it's one of those things I, the bigger the homes I got, the more kids I could take in. But as a single parent, because they're still going to look at that, I think my max was like five. And at one point I did have five. I had five under five. Um, and it was like, what? But um, they, five, five can, under the age of five. All oh five were under five. And I was like, never again. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I girl bossed a little too close to the sun on that one. And um yeah, I learned my lesson. <laughs> but um, the kids, you can never tell when they're going to come in, how long they're going to stay. My first placement, I was so excited. I was like that gung-ho, very new, very naive foster parent. I was like, I'm going to change the world. And, and he stayed for like less than 24 hours. And I was just like, what is this? Um, and it was good though, because I got to drop them off. And I remember them calling me the next day, like, Hey, we found bio mom. We need you to come to the County building to bring him, bring all his stuff. He, he's going with her. She was not aware at the time of what had occurred. Um, Cause he was with bio dad when the stuff occurred. So I remember being like, Oh, but you know, I did everything I was supposed to do. And then I brought him down to the County building and there was a woman you can't help, but feel for the bio parents. Like, they're, they've been going through it, you know, and she, I've never met a bio say things. I think they think certain things about bio parents and people who get in the situation in which, you know, um, social services has to intervene. And I'll tell them, I was like, I, it's not really like that. These people love their children. They love mm-hmm. their kids. I've never met a bio parent who did not love their child. So mm-hmm. hopefully that gets out there. <laughs> yeah. That kind of leads me into the next question. For those people who are thinking about being a foster parent and say, I don't know that I could give a child back, like if they're in my home for six months or a year, one, it's nice to hear that the bio parents 
really love their children and want them because that kind of oh, yeah. eases the, but also what do you say to those people who go, I, I don't think I could do that. I would say, don't do it. Mm-hmm. I would but like are thinking about it, but they're like, I don't know if I could give the child back. I would say they need to take a long, hard look at themselves. You're going to enter a system that's completely broken and you're working with families that have been pulled apart. If you sincerely know yourself well enough that you could not give a child back and it would be a traumatizing thing for you, you're going to stress that child out. There is a term in the foster care system known amongst foster parents, which is called one and done. Um, And what happens is, and unfortunately, the system does chew a lot of foster parents up and spit them out. One and done refers to the fact that a foster parent, many foster parents in high numbers take one case and that's it. They never foster again because that one case broke them. Stepping into the system, stepping into every system is broken. The education system, the prison system, foster care system isn't any different. There are so many legalities that have to be followed. I think people forget that. There's no perfect way to do anything. But when it's so personal, these are children that you are helping to raise. They are in your home. You know, you can't help. I hope you can help, but love them. Like, I hope you can. You got to love them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that emotionally, it, and a mentally, it is, um, it's a triathlon for many of us and some finished and some don't. I kind of wanted to go into your family. So you have adopted three children. You've got Evan, Ella, and Eli. They them. Were, how, did you, <laughs> how did they become a part of the permanent family? Like, I know you said you wanted to adopt, but with so many foster children, how did they kind of be the ones? Like, how did you know they were the ones? My mantra as a foster parent was whoever comes in and doesn't have the option of permanency through reunification when this case runs its course becomes a McLeod. That was my mantra. I, I had thought I was going to stop. I, you know, I had my Eli and I'm like, okay, well, you're a single parent and he's got, you know, Eli's medical issues were coming up. Um, more and more diagnoses were being tossed on the table. And I was like, whoa, y'all, okay, slow down. <laughs> my child thought the disabilities treated every branch on the way down, my poor baby. Um, and so when Evan came, he was my first placement actually in Texas. Um, when he came, and it was meant to be <clears throat> because I licensed there and again, did it very quickly because I just don't screw around. <laughs> and they had done something wrong on their end. Not wrong. I should say so not the right way. They had missed something on their end at social services. There were two systems. My license should have been basically uploaded to, and it was only uploaded to one. So I was out. And again, we were living in Texas and we lived there for about four and a half years. And then that time adopted Evan and Ella and donated a kidney. I was busy in Texas, but they called me and said, we have this five day old baby. Will you accept placement? I was like, Oh, I'll squeeze on a little tushy. And um, <laughs> they, they call, I was like, I was actually out um, in Belton, which is a little bit further out. So I was like, I'm on my way. I'll leave now. I'll be home in an hour. And they called me on the way home. They're like, we can't place with you. I said, why? Um, and they go, because they somehow it was missed. They put you in one system, but not the other. And we're trying to call around. But of course, this is late at night. This is happening. Placements often happen in the middle of the night or after, you know, social services is closed. It's not during business hours. I mean, that's just, it's people. Um, and so basically in the end, they were like, you know, just handle it tomorrow, but we're going to have to place somewhere else. So I was like, oh man. 
So I called my worker the next day, the issue was corrected. And that night I got the call for Evan. Um, so, you know, it was very much meant to be, but when I had Evan, I was very much on the fence about whether or not as a single parent with an already an adopted child with, with severe medical needs, I should take another one. I knew another foster parent who really wanted a baby. And I was like, are you sure? Cause it seems like you're overwhelmed. You've got a few toddlers that she'd already adopted. Oh, that she really wanted the experience of a baby. And so I said, okay, I checked with the social worker. I said this potentially, cause we were already, he was probably about two months old. And at that time in his situation, bio parents were not active um, in the case. And so social, you know, social services was like, absolutely. Cause she's licensed. It's cool. You can make this decision. She, he can spend the night or whatever it was. She was like, I want to keep him all weekend. I was like, um, you know, Evan was a baby who was drug exposed. So he screamed a lot. And I tried to warn her that that is a very, very stressful thing to deal with. And that eventually he, you know, he's just a little discombobulated. He would recombobulate. They all do. Um, and, uh, she wanted him all weekend, all weekend, all weekend. Um, okay, well, let's just start with Friday night and then let me know. The next day we both were invited to like this get together with a bunch of foster parents. Homegirl showed up with Evan and all his stuff and was just like, nope. And it, it was that emotionally taxing on her. And part of me couldn't blame her, but part of me was really mad. And, um, I remember looking at him in that moment and going, I will never ever do that to you again, ever. And here he is six and a half years later. Wow. <laughs> that child, he is so, he was meant, things are just meant to be. Um, so that's how they wound up staying. So Eli and Eli's situation, um, he need, he needed permanency right out the gate. Um, bio mom. And again, trigger warning bio mom had attempted to unalive herself twice while pregnant with him and then did unalive herself when he was two months old. So he was basically left abandoned bio dad. His last words to the social worker were, you know, in my mind, he's like deuces I'm out, but really he said something it's in the, it's in his, um, his records. I have his records. Um, I'm glad he was, he's been transferred to the medical center at that point. Eli had gone from NICU to medical center. So just a little step down, um, because I want nothing to do with him. And that was the last time there was any contact, so social services in Alameda County pulled, I mean, they, those social workers should be commended. They knew trying to place a medical child would be excruciatingly difficult. They ran through every home in Alameda County and then said, now we're reaching out to Santa Clara County. And it just was like, they reached out to a foster parent. I happened to know, but she didn't think about me. She couldn't take him. They reached out to a friend of mine who already had one medical kid and three bio kids. And she was like, hell no. <laughs> I got my hands full. And she goes, but let me call my friend. And that friend was me. And that's how Eli came to me. Evan, his story was basically, you know, bio parents just, they weren't, they weren't active in the case. And eventually they just disappeared and parental rights were terminated and adoption took place. And he was, he was a McLeod at that point. Ella is Evan's biological sibling, similar circumstances. Can you talk a little bit because you, you, you have a great attitude about it. But I'm sure it's it's a very I do now. <laughs> With Eli, you have he has cerebral palsy and uh, several other issues. And I know recently you kind of had a medical not setback emergency emergency. emergency. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Basically, when Bio Mom attempted made those attempts, they were very serious attempts. Obviously, she had um, some some severe mental health issues, and as a therapist 
have, I mean, again, something that was just meant to be, my heart went out to her. Um, and I always tell people we have to look past the actions and look at the human behind those actions. And I can only imagine how lonely they were from China. So I can only imagine how lonely she was to be in a country where she didn't speak the language. Um, and actually I will preface this with saying Eli does carry her last name as one at last name as one of his middle names. He has two middle names. Um, just in a way, as a way to honor her because, um, she was in a lot of pain, but those attempts did cause his medical issues. So <clears throat> Eli has a, a condition called cerebral palsy. It, his specific condition, there's different types. His specific condition under that umbrella is spastic quadriplegia. And so what you're looking at, the spasticity is that tightness you often see. So that's why his arms are curled up to his little chest. Um, that's the spasticity quadriplegia quad. We know meaning four, meaning it's affecting every limb. It affects his entire body. Sometimes it might just affect people's arms or just their legs or an arm and a leg on one side. So um, CP, as we call it for short, affects everybody a little differently. Um, so he has specifically spastic quadriplegia. He has um, <clears throat> short gut syndrome. So four days after he was born, I'm going to try to do this in a nutshell. He was in distress and almost died then. Um, he developed a condition called necrotizing enterocolitis. Don't say that three times fast. Don't even try. <laughs> Had to go into emergency surgery. And the end result of that surgery is a condition known as short gut or short bowel syndrome. And so when I met Eli, he had a broviac line that was coming out of his heart, outside of his chest, and then he had a G-tube. So I had to train medically to bring my little Tinker Tot home. Well, stinker. We got all that stuff out, though. <laughs> now he's got no tubes and he's just living his life. Wow. Um, he also, due to the alcohol exposure in utero, he's missing 90% of his optic nerve tissue. So he has a lot of eye problems. Um, and then uh, he also had fetal alcohol syndrome, which I think they just refer to as FAS now or something. Um, <clears throat> and now we add epilepsy to the list. So basically what occurred Tuesday, and I'll try to maintain my composure here because I'm still up here with my anxiety and emotions. Tuesday started off like any other day. He was a little sick on Sunday. Eli will make himself throw up. He had chugged his water. And I was so bummed out because um, Jojo Siwa has become a friend of ours. She's an absolute darling to my kids. And she was like hitting me up like, hey, what are you guys doing Sunday? And I remember telling her, I was like, probably annoying the hell out of each other. One to Universal Studios, like, you know? Oh. So I was going to surprise the kids. They obviously knew they were going to Universal based on the outfits they were wearing, but they didn't know the other half of the surprise. When I got Eli up on Sunday, he chugged his water too fast and made himself throw up. And oftentimes what happens is that becomes like a, a sensory thing and he'll continue to make himself throw up. So I had to scramble to find a sitter, have him home. He was fine the rest of the day, Sunday. I kept him home from school Monday, fine. And no other symptoms, no fever, no cough, no stuffy nose, congestion, nothing. Um... Tuesday sent him off to school and he seemed like, you know, just good old Eli living his best little life. And <clears throat> I went to get in the shower. Well, I got in the shower and it was a little before nine and I get like four or five minute showers. Uh, and I remember getting in the shower and it was like 30 seconds in and my phone is ringing. Um, I screamed. Uh, I, I, there was definitely a customer that came out of my mouth. I was like, I can't even get in the shower. And the phone rang and rang and rang. Clearly it went to voicemail. And I was just like, well, you know, whatever it is, I'll just check that later. And then it, whoever it was called back immediately after. And at that point I knew something was going on. I was filming for our vlog. I was going to do a, you know, a typical day in my life kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so I decided to film the call. I saw it was from the school and I was like, oh, 
he probably threw up. And I had already emailed the teacher. I'm very communicative. He was doing this, no other symptoms. So throughout the day, just give him sips of water to keep him nice and hydrated and just small bites of food. So we keep tummy calm until, you know, the little, the little thing he's doing passes. It usually takes about a week and then he's fine. Um, and we were, the teacher and I were emailing back and forth, even talking about Evan, cause they're in the same class and how great Evan is doing right now. And that's when I got in the shower and the calls came. Um, so when I got out, I just literally thought, you know, Eli threw up, they're coming to tell me I need to call to tell me I need to come get him. And when I, I called the school and the school secretary or admin answered the phone <clears throat> and we always chat her and I get along really, really well. And she said my name, she said, Ika. Just the way she said my name, it was like my heart fell down straight out of my butt. I knew something was seriously wrong. And at that point, she told me Eli had a seizure. Uh, 911 had to be called. Fire and paramedics are here. And I'm standing there, no clothes on. And I was like, I'm on my way. I just kept saying, I'm on my way. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. And um, I seriously contemplated leaving the house with no clothes on. Orange County almost got a show. <laughs> I... Did put clothes on though, just to, just to be very clear with the viewers. I did clothe <laughs> myself. Um, and I mean, I was, I said, like, I did not run to that school. I flew. And doctors have been very clear with Eli. He has less than a 40% chance of living past the age of 20 due to the extent of so many medical conditions and the trauma and his medical history, like all everything he's been through. Cause you'll hear people all the time go, my cousin's uncle's dog's best friend's nephew had CP and he lived to be 700 years old. Like, you know, like biblical ages, you know? And I always tell people, everybody's medical history is different. He doesn't just have CP. That's just what presents more when you see him with your eyes. Um, so doctors have been clear, uh, Anything could end his life, but the, the chances of it being a seizure are very high. He has never had a seizure. This was his first. Um, we had a good run. Eight, almost eight and a half years. We had a good run. I've been very careful. Um, so when I got that call, I thought, this is it. You know, and I was I was mad in the car. I was mad as a hornet um, because I remember I just kept saying in my head, like, this is not fair. It's not enough time. We deserve more time together. Oh, oh, Lord, just help me. Oh, Scott, Daddy, come on now. <clears throat> I just, I was mad. I was like, we deserve more time together. He didn't get to hang out with JoJo Siwa in Universal Studios. Uh, you know, we've got to do it again. So I don't like Eli missing out on things because I want him to have every experience possible. Hi. So I was really mad in the car. I, I was, I was like, this is it you know, and you're not prepared. You were supposed to process more with the kids and help, you know, we've talked about it. I've talked about it briefly with the kids because I've got to prepare them for the loss of a sibling as well someday. So there's a lot that goes into it. How do I handle this as a parent and be there for them? But at the same time, when this comes, I'm going to be grieving and it's going to be so excruciatingly painful. So on the way there, all I kept thinking was that, and that I just, I needed him to see me in his final moments. I needed him to know I was there. Um, you know, cause again, it comes, there's a lot of guilt for me as a parent, like, and it's unrealistic guilt, that guilt whispers weird things in your ear. Um, you know, you weren't there fast enough when he was a baby. Well, of course I didn't get the call till he was like almost five months old. <laughs> I didn't know he existed, but I do feel guilty. I hate that he went so long without somebody there. And so I just wanted to make sure he knew I was there. Um, when I got there, he, um, <laughs> I flew through that office like a feral cat. I did not check. I almost hit the ambulance. I turned that corner. Like, ah! 
Um, and I did not check in and say anything to anybody. I just flew through straight to the classroom. I flung that door open. The teacher, principal, and aide are in there like, oh, you could see they were just horrified. They're like, not a McLeod kid. You know, <laughs> they know I love my kids. And um, paramedics or fire were there. I didn't say anything to anybody. I just, I was just, pan. I'm sure they could see just, just like my eyes were as big as saucers. So I was looking for my child and there was like a shelf and I, he was on the other side on the ground with one of the paramedics or, and I went over there and I didn't say anything. I just picked him up. It's <laughs> like, you know, in my mind, I was like, I can save him. I can do it. I'll, nobody's got a stake in this game. Like I do. Nobody wants him to live the way I do. So get away from me. None of you know what you're doing. <laughs> um, and you know, he was really weak. He was, you know, he wasn't my <clears throat> typical Eli. So we were rushed by ambulance because of all his other conditions. We were rushed by ambulance to uh, a local children's hospital. We stayed in the emergency room for, we were there for like eight and a half hours. Eli hates medical. He hates anything medical. And he always, even dentist office, he knows, and he starts screaming. Um, <clears throat> so he, you know, they've put him on medications. They've been very clear that, you know, now that one has finally come, it's likely that they're just going to start coming and so he's on medications. We got to be really safe. The school's really aware. The school did a great job. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, everybody did everything they could do. So now it's just taking proper precautions. And I'm like, I don't want him outside if it's over 80 degrees. I don't want this. I don't, you know, so talking to the school nurse this morning, she's so great. And she's making sure she's like, I'm going to write all this in the health plan. And I was like, okay, perfect. Um, but it was probably one of the scariest um, moments thus far as a parent. I don't want to feel that again, but I know I eventually will. So he, he's doing great now. I am not faring so well. <laughs> I can't sleep. I'm having nightmares. So I'm just waiting for the emotional high, that anxiety, that hit, that fear, that terror. I just got to wait for it to come down. It's going to take a little time, um, but he's doing great. He's back at school. Um, the day after he was still a little weak, very hungry, so just trying to keep him fed and trying to let him rest, trying, you know, making sure the house is cool. It's really hot right here, right now in Southern California. You know, the next day he was ready to go back. He was laughing again and smiling. So I physically took him back to the school with two different shoes on because that's where I'm at as a parent right now. Uh, yeah. And uh, he, <clears throat> and not even like two different shoes, like a sneaker and a flip-flop, like just to be clear, like it was, it's not was even, like not even close. Yeah. <laughs> Do we really call one of those shoes? Like, so um, I took him in and he was just like smiling in the office. He knew he was back at school. He was all like, yay. Um, COVID was really hard on him because he was stuck in the house for like two years because he's high risk. So um, yeah, he's doing great. They've got the rescue yeah. med there. He's taking his medication now at home to help minimize. And we've got a plan in place, which is just, just call 911. <laughs> like, yeah. Just like, if there's nothing else any of us does, there's nothing else I do as a parent. I've got to keep them alive. Oh, and you know, you, I saw your TikTok and your explanation about the lack, cause people, I don't think even me, I had a sister that had um, epilepsy and we didn't know till she was like in her thirties. Like yeah. that's when, she, that's when we knew she had a seizure. She could have had them before and we weren't aware of it, but the lack of oxygen, when you were explaining the lack of oxygen, because people think you know, just your average person thinks, like you said, they don't understand the risks and what goes oh, on. Yeah. yeah. But when you explained it on your, your uh, TikTok about the lack of oxygen, you're thinking, 
yeah, this is very scary. This is a very scary thing. It and, is. And Evan has had two seizures, but because Evan is, you know, healthy, um, and obviously his body is doing the things it's supposed to do. He's walking, he's moving and Eli's body isn't doing that. And Eli has, we know the medical history from in utero. We have the EEGs, we have the MRIs showing a lot of concerning and alarming things in his brain activity that all it's everything together. I was hoping people understood it's everything together. When it was Evan, I, I alerted the neurologist. They were like, we'll just keep monitoring. If they keep happening, then we'll put them on meds. I try to keep my kids off meds if I can. Um, and he's been knock on wood. Okay. Thus far, but with Evan, he bounces back like within a minute. So it's very different for both kids. And again, Eli is just much higher risk. So I think a lot of people see seizures that way. And I tell people seizures are rarely fatal in people like Evan or you and I, they're rarely fatal, but for kids like Eli, it's different. You know, I guess that leads me to the question. You've gotten so much popularity on TikTok and other social media, but what was the intent when you started the TikTok? What, you know, you call yourself a family of misfits. What was the intent? It was very unintentional. Um, I only even made our Instagram public at the urging and encouragement of a friend at the time who was, she liked social media <clears throat> to me at that time, it looked like she had a big following. She had like 17,000. I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't know anything. I didn't know this industry or this game. Um, and she she just kept saying, people need to see your family. I was like, ain't nobody want to see a family of misfits. We are, oh, I can't say it on here. We are a poop show. <laughs> you could say that. Um, and that's the only way I can describe us. Like nothing is ever together. It's just like organized chaos somehow at all times. Um, and so, you know, I finally made our Insta public. Nothing much was going anywhere. You know, a lot of it was focused on talking about, you know, the kids' needs and, and doing stuff like that, especially going to theme parks. And then I had a different friend at the time be like, you got to get on this app. It's so funny. And she was probably telling me for like two months. And I was like, I'm good. No, I'm good. She just wanted me to watch funny stuff. This would have been, finally, I got on like December of 2019. And I did the same thing everybody does with TikTok when they first download it. You're up to like 3 a.m. watching hilarious videos. And, you know, and then um, I didn't even post till early 2020. And I think I posted like four or five videos. It was like the fourth or fifth video that went viral. I had no idea what TikTok would turn into for us. I had no idea. Zero. It was unintentional. It it just, it kind of happened very fast. And I love that so many people have embraced a little boy in a dress and a family of misfits. Uh, we represent a lot of different marginalized communities. And um, I hope that, you know, my goal was always to promote acceptance and inclusion, but I'm hoping to bring more awareness to a lot of the, especially with Eli, for example, you know, there's so, there's so little funding for equipment, for medical supplies, for everything for kiddos, like, like Eli, families like ours, who maybe can't afford to pay out of pocket, they're fighting for things that their kids need. And it shouldn't be that way. This is, this is horrible. You're, you're terrified enough. Like, why does everything need to be made harder? So I'm hoping that and bringing awareness to so many different things that we make somebody's life better. People see this and go, wait a minute, this family is on some level, very relatable. I've never seen it from this point of view. This is shocking or this is amazing or whatever it is. And, you know, maybe you never know, especially we have a lot of young, young followers, kids, I and mean, they're stepping up. They're the next generation. 
What are they going to do? What are they going to do with the information they've been given on platforms like TikTok? I first discovered your family when I saw that Evan was meeting the old gays, which that is a group of four amazing men on TikTok. You have to follow them too. And what, how did that come about? So I want to say that there is a fifth amazing man behind that group as well, who films and does all the content for really? them. Okay. He's Good wonderful. to know. Yes. He's wonderful. You don't see him. Sometimes you hear him in the videos talking to them, but um, he's also incredible. So I don't know if he wants me to put his name out there, so I'm not going to say it, but he's wonderful too. Um, the old gays, AKA the grandpas. Um, I, I had, I had been following them, loved them, adored them, loved everything they were doing. They're funny. I, the, I mean, the TikToks and everything, the creativity behind the content is also just admirable. They, and they focus on it. I have, I don't have the, the ability to focus on it quite as much, which I'm like, man, if I had the time and the film skills, like what could we do? But, um, there, a video had popped up. I don't remember which one it was. And I just typed in the comments section, like, Hey, we love you guys so much. Would you ever be open to collabing? And he contacted me back right away. They, they followed us back. So once you followed, then, then you can DM your mutuals. Um, and we just came up with a plan and, um, they had two options. They were like, we can do this or we can have all the guys be in dresses. I was like, I think that that would be even more meaningful to Evan. And you could see Evan was like, when he came in, like, wait a minute. You know, I, he's seen a couple other little boys in dresses, but to see grown men, especially men of that age, and he calls all people who appear older, grandma and grandpa, which in public is so humiliating. Uh, <laughs> any person who appears older to Evan, he's like, it's a grandma, mom, look, it's a grandma. I'm like, oh my God, stop. She's like 35. She dyed her hair white. <laughs> It's a, it's a trend. Evan shush. And he's pointing and I'm like, oh, um, I love so kids and they're honest. They are the, yeah. They are the grandpa. <laughs> we can say that. And that's what we, we drove out there out in Palm Springs area. We drove two hours out there. We love a nice little drive. The day just happened. We both myself and their, um, the person behind their account, the genius behind the old gaze, we were both just filming everything. Sometimes he would ask questions. We would just film. We just filmed the interaction. Evan clammed up a little that day, which with his autism, sometimes usually he's just this very bright, vibrant, excitable, hyperactive individual. But sometimes every great once in a while, he'll just be, you know, oh, kind of like step back. I think he was just genuinely like, whoa, I don't know. We just had a day. We had lunch there and other than everybody being in their outfits and changing outfits and filming a few TikToks with them, there was really no agenda. It was a very good day. And then we left and I had the content and I remember thinking, what do I do with this? Because that video that went viral was my, was my content. I wanted in a lot of our content, my goal is to focus on the kindness of others, the acceptance and inclusion from other people towards our family, towards my children. Um, not always in those types of videos do I focus on, on my kids, if that makes sense. So the focus of the content was them because these men invited two people they didn't even know to their home. They had lunch for us. They were kind to a child they had no ties to. 
you know, what was even more sweet, I didn't think about it, but as we were talking about their dresses, um, they had all gone out to purchase dresses specifically for that day. So they took time out prior to even meeting us to have to do something to try on dresses. (laughs) None of them is rich, of course, you know, none of us is. And, you know, they, they, I think some of them went to like the Goodwill. So they, they were really having to look, it was work to find something that would fit them and something that seemed appropriate for the occasion without spending an arm and a leg, i.e. the dress he, Evan was wearing in that video. (laughs) I think people will miss all those things. And those are the things I think my therapist brain looks at all the other things that these people did for my child. Um, that I don't think, I think a lot of people would totally completely it'd be above their head. So yeah, um, it was incredible. It was incredible. And I, I don't even remember we met them and I think it was days before I remember sending, um, like I said, the man behind the magic of the old gaze. I remember sending him the content I had created. I was like, what do you think? And he's like, Oh, I like this. This is not. And I'm like, it's not right. It doesn't feel right to me. Like, yeah, it's good, but it's not great. And I really, really wanted to highlight the old highlight the old gaze and how great they were. And I revamped it and then released it. And that's what you saw. Wow. That's what millions and millions and millions of people uh, saw, mm-hmm. which is so nice because it resonates. And and why do you think your family resonates so much with other people on TikTok? And what do you how do you respond? to the negative, because there are some crazy people on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't necessarily think it's always people being able to relate to us. I think people are also curious. But I think if, even if you can't, from a personal perspective, understand being queer, being disabled, being adopted, being a single parent, being a person of color, whatever it is, I think what people resonate with the most is we are a family of underdogs. And I think a lot of people can relate to that aspect of who we are. And that's why I would say we are, we're misfits. It's like, really, really, do we really belong anywhere? And, uh, you know, I always tell people our souls just somehow found one another, whether it's this lifetime or another lifetime, I think our souls will always find one another because, we're the only ones who really can deal with these. With each other. <laughs> we just understand one another on a whole other level. Like I have the worst, gnarliest, most sarcastic sense of humor. And even other adults are like, is she okay? Is, has she been drinking? Um, one, yes, yes, I have. Two, my kids are just like, mom, you. <laughs> you. So like my kids totally get it at their ages where other adults have, they cannot grasp my humor. My kids are just like, Oh, good old mom. Just ignore her. Come on, let's go get the Legos. So I think that's a, that's what people relate to the most. As far as hate goes, it's an everyday thing. We get death threats. We get threats of harm. Um, you know, it just depends, you know, most of the time I try to use humor. It's my coping skill. So most of the time I'm just like, you couldn't have been more creative. It's a sin. It's disgusting. Okay. Come on, Kyle. Pull it together. <laughs> Somebody once told me, they clearly didn't know us. They told me my womb was cursed. And I was like, points for going after the uterus. I like it. Um, but it's just kind of like one of those things that sadly, I think 
is acceptable in our society. Well, you're public, therefore you're, um, you're, you're fair game. And I'm like, that's not how it should pass, bro. You're not going to pull them up doing it. You know, I always liken it to people like, okay, well, people get punched in the face in society. People are assaulted every day. So if I go out to buy, you know, formula for my baby and I get punched in the face, I deserved it. No, that's the same. <laughs> you can't stop yeah. like that. But as far as that goes, it sadly just comes with the territory. Um, very rarely does it get to me, but I, I just try to keep things in perspective and, and remind myself that it says a lot more about them than about us. People think that you are just putting on a show. And obviously the way I edit things together, you know, there's a goal because I am walking a fine line, documenting our lives and trying to bring awareness to things and trying to do good things with our social media so, but it's still, we are still real people and we are still a family and these still are, these, this is our real life. So it's finding that the line and that boundary of respecting my kids in that way, myself, us as a family, but still being able to convey what reality looks like for us. And it's really, really hard. People don't realize how hard that is. And people are like, you're exploiting your kids. And I'm like, they're exploiting me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and like Evan loves being in front of the camera and Ella now is trying to steal his thunder and it's a whole thing. There are things that happen. I tell people there are things that happen. There was something recently happening with Evan for months and multiple doctors had to be involved. There was all kinds of things. And that was not put on social media in that way. Um, I try to touch on it a little bit, but without going there, because I think Okay, how would Evan feel if he's if how would I feel if I was a little older and this specific side of my autism came out? So I was like, no, we're gonna leave that here. We're gonna leave it here within the family. So it is really hard. What would you where would you like to see this social media journey kind of take you? Do you think you could do a book or is there something in the future you just ride in the wave and see where it goes? I would love to do a reality show. I would love to represent, be that representation for families like ours and individuals like each of us separately. Even though we're a family, we are still our own people. And I would love to be that visual representation to put out there and show the chaotic, hilarious, super mentally unstable times of the family. <laughs> But also like situations that occurred with Eli showing what it's like to be a medical family or a family with an individual in the in the family who is high risk medical and getting that call and going through that part of it and the fear and the terror and all the doctor's appointments and the schools being involved and everything like that, showing that side of things. And then also following us to Evan's gymnastics or cheerleading where, you know, he's playing dead on the ground, tongue hanging out, you know, and I would be really excited to take part in something like a reality show in which, you know, certain sides of our lives, are of course, respected and we don't show, but then the real aspect of what families like ours endure, um, the good, bad, and the absolutely insane somewhere in between there, I think would be interesting. I would watch it. I we think would it would definitely be. watch yeah. it, you know, yeah. and it just, you're doing a great job. Do you think you would adopt any more kids? Uh, thank you. And <laughs> I, I would say no, but definitely not now because that's not fair to my three who have very significant needs. And there's only one of me um, that spreads me thinner in many different ways. And I want their lives. I want a certain lifestyle for them. 
and I work hard for it. Thank you so much, Ika, for sharing your family and your story with us. We hope you opened some minds. At the time we were saying that Evan was non-binary, it was prior to her identifying as female. So we are practicing our, our pronouns. Sometimes we mess up, but we do that. Mm-hmm. We are trying because mm-hmm. we, tr- Bridge and I truly support the LGBTQIA community. We are allies in anything we can do to promote acceptance in this world. We are all for. Thank you for listening today. Please follow us on all forms of social media. Subscribe to the podcast and just have a wonderful weekend, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.